It's been 20 years since 9-11. Today's college freshmen, they weren't even alive then. And with our busy lives and the relentless 24-hour news cycle, we're in danger of letting 9-11 fade away from our cultural memory. We won't let this happen. Iron Light Labs presents the 20 for 20 podcast, 20 heroic stories about 9-11 for the 20th anniversary. I'm Nils Jorgensen. I was a New York City firefighter for almost 22 years until I contracted the rarest form of leukemia from cleaning up Ground Zero and was forced to retire from the job I loved. I'm lucky to be alive. Many of my best friends aren't. But this isn't about me. It's about the heroes of 9-11 and its aftermath who forged good out of evil. Love amidst the taking of 2,977 innocent lives and about an equal number who've died since then from 9-11-related illnesses. Today's story, episode 18 of 20. The most famous Yankee of the time, Derek Jeter, comes through and he sees the president and he walks over and then he says to the president, well, Mr. President, do you plan to go up onto the mound to throw the first pitch? Typically, the celebrity first pitch performer stands down in front of the mound on flat ground. And the president didn't really respond. He said, sir, I recommend you do so because if you don't, they will boo you here in Yankee Stadium. And this was no ordinary first pitch. It was the first game at Yankee Stadium for the 2001 World Series. And it was only 49 days after 9-11. There was intense fear that the stadium could be attacked, and there was intense pressure on the president to throw a strike, to symbolically project the strength of America. The voice you heard is Ken Kendrick, then a minority partner of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And since 2004, he's been their principal owner and managing general partner. The story of the most important first pitch and baseball's role in helping the country to heal after this message about our generous sponsor. And now, let's return to Ken Kendrick on baseball and 9-11. I was at my home in Phoenix. It was, of course, the time zone three-hour different, uh, so it was very early in Arizona, and I was, uh, you know, I had gotten up and was in my home, and one of my dear friends called me and said, you better turn on the TV. Something horrible looks like is happening in New York City. And it was prior to the second plane. The first plane had hit the first building. So I saw the live event of plane number two hitting you know, the, uh, the second tower. And so I sat just kind of almost speechless at my home in front of my television, watching throughout the day uh, all the events that unfolded and MLB Commissioner Bud Selig decided to temporarily postpone the season in the aftermath. The commissioner acted, you know, very appropriately to pause the season for what it turned out to be seven or eight days, if my memory serves exactly. And then the very first games, you know, in particular the Mets game, you know, with all of the first responders and all of the players, you know, wearing the various police department, fire department hats, you know, that's a vivid memory for me as a fan of the game and seeing baseball playing a role and trying to restore, you know, the, 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 
bring us back from grief to say life must go on. Baseball can play a role in helping us go on with our lives. And that was very compelling when the game started back up. And Mike Piazza electrified the moment, smashing a two-run home run in the bottom of the eighth inning to pull the Mets ahead of the Braves in the first baseball game back in New York. Seems so fitting that, you know, there would be the, you know, the walk-off home run by the New York team, you know, in the setting that it was, we're, come, we're back. And life is maybe some restored from where we had been, you know, and all of us in grief for those days from the day of the attack until that, that moment. Then Ken's Diamondbacks made it to the World Series in its latest start date ever of October 27th due to the postponed games. Their opponent, the New York Yankees, who won the previous three World Series before this and whose city just experienced its worst tragedy. The Diamondbacks won the first two games at home, and Game 3 was the first game in New York, and the Diamondbacks decided to take a red-eye flight there so that they could go to ground zero and pay their respects. It was, as I think for anyone who would have visited the site of the tragedy that we all faced in that time, you know, it was just a searing memory and the events of the moment when we're just some weeks away from the actual tragedy of 9-11 and coming on site when work was still actively going on the recovery, you know, with large numbers of uh, heroic people uh, doing very difficult work, it just, it, it stopped your heart when you got there to see it. You know, you came from afar, as we did from Arizona. You had seen on television what had occurred. Some time had passed, but here we are coming to New York City uh, to play for the World Championship of Baseball, and we come onto the 9-11 site, and uh, it just took It took my breath away. Uh, Surrounding the site were all of the individual memorials of of which there were thousands of them, you know, with photographs and flowers and notes written to those who were lost. And the visual is just, you know, here we are 20 years later. And as we talk, I can transport back to that very, very moment uh, of, of being at ground zero. And, you know, we as a baseball organization, you know, we're, we're very tangential to the real tragedy. You know, we were part of a game that was going to be played and, and games that were played. And, you know, there was honor that we were doing, we felt, to those who lost their lives and those who were doing the hard work in the recovery effort. And so, you know, the very least we could do would would be to give respects to those who were lost, but also give respect to those who were doing the very hard work that all of the folks, uh, you know, in the, in the police, fire, and other services were doing on an ongoing basis. And here we were six weeks after the actual event, right around the end of October is when we arrived in town. So it's just, uh, you know, this discussion just resonates back in my mind uh, as though it were last week. And one of the most resonant moments was President Bush's first pitch as he was wearing an FDNY sweatshirt at that first game in New York. 
it, 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 it had, uh, uh, you know, the, the intensity of us coming into the stadium with the most significant security I had ever encountered in my life because both the president was there and we were shortly after the events of 9-11. And so there was fear in the air, uh, I think would be one thing I would say amongst us and amongst the 50 some thousand people who were, who, who were on site, there was this great American feeling of being a part of a great American event with the leader of our country walking out onto that field to thunderous applause and, you know, and doing something that, because I'm a baseball person, is not that easily done. And I, and I will tell it in the following way. One of the great stories behind the story of the pitch thrown by President Bush on the first night in Yankee Stadium was prior to the event that everyone saw on national television. And it was, as is the case when somebody a celebrity like the president is throwing out a first pitch. You know, they're down under the stadium, and uh, as many people would know, there are areas where players can do warm-ups down underneath the stadiums and, you know, uh, hit, hit off of a batting tee or throw pitches and catch just to loosen up. And so the president came in, knew he was going to do the pitch, wanted to throw some practice pitches underneath the stadium in the privacy, and as he was doing so, the most famous Yankee of the time, Derek Jeter, comes through and he sees the president and he walks over and he introduces himself. Mr. President, I'm Derek Jeter. Welcome and uh, delighted that you're here and we're honored to have you. And, and then he says to the president, well, Mr. President, do you plan to go up onto the mound to throw the first pitch? Typically the celebrity first pitch performer, in this case the President of the United States, stands down in front of the mound on flat ground. And the President didn't really respond. He said, Sir, I recommend you do so because if you don't, they will boo you here in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> he then leaves and the President is taken back and he realizes that he must go up onto the mound. Now, he had been, you know, an amateur player like many of us, little league ball player, etc., And he knew the degree of difficulty had ramped up uh, in terms of being able to throw a pitch that wouldn't embarrass him. So as he told the story privately and then later public, he became very much more tense about the occasion, which was already a tense one. Now, in addition to that, of course, security was enormously uh, uh, strict and he was required to wear a flak jacket underneath his outward apparel. And of course, that wasn't really known, but to those on the inner circle. And so getting up on the mound in Yankee Stadium in the setting of the first game of the World Series shortly after 9-11 and the intensity of it all was exacerbated dramatically by what he was facing as his task. And as we all know, he threw a perfect strike. And, and it was just, uh, it, it almost, uh, there was a gasp, you know, in the, uh, in the audience of all of us. And it was, you know, knowing all of that makes the moment even a greater moment to reflect back on. 
And it was a very, very proud moment. It was a bringing of our country together to go forward from there. And Yankee Stadium in New York City was the center point of from that moment to the present. And uh, it, it was, again, an event other than losing the ball game uh, on that particular evening and two more ball games the next evenings. And all three were walk-off wins by the Yankees over m my Diamondbacks. And I heard, uh, uh, you know, the New York, uh, the Frank Sinatra New York uh, song way played way more than I ever would have cared to know, which you kind of have to some degree separate out from the, the drama of and the magnitude of the moment. We'll hear more from Ken Kendrick after these messages from our sponsors. Let's return to Ken Kendrick on being at Yankee Stadium. Of course, we had uh, the visiting seats, the visiting owner seats. It, it's, a, it's kind of a tradition that you provide a row of, I think it's eight seats to the visiting team, and they are at the visiting dugout, and each, that's a courtesy extended uh, you know, across all of baseball. And so we, we had our row of seats, but of course they're very, very uh, you know, much in the middle of action. You're right on the front row, and, and the seats surrounding you are, are rabid regular season, season ticket holders for, you know, in this case, the Yankees. And so we came in the first night and got to our seats. And the you know, intensity of the moment was what it was. And by fate, I happened to be seated on the end of the row. And then the next row started with a group of Yankee fans led by one Adam Sandler, who uh, is well known to be a very rabid Yankee fan. And uh, of course he was a recognizable person to me and he didn't know me from a hole in the ground. And uh, you know, we kind of, you're sitting next to somebody. So you, you know, he's obviously, you know, rooting for the Yankees and it's clear I'm not. And, and you know, he and everybody around us were giving us the old what do you call it that you do in the, the, the Bronx cheer? Uh, they they kind of dealt with us as outlanders who not only were their opponent, but weren't worthy of playing the game. You know, that we were low-end low baseball people who just by good fortune happened to show up to play the great Yankees. And of course the Yankees were great and are great. And so he and I engaged in banter uh, early on, he was, uh, let's say kind than he became over a three night series of episodes. He became more and more friendly towards us. And by the end of three days, he recognized that we had a really outstanding baseball team, you know, which isn't me. It's the guys out on the field who were giving the Yankees everything they could handle each night. And unfortunately for us, lost in walkaway fashion three straight nights. But on the other hand, he respected what they were on the field. And as we had talked, he, I think, finally grudgingly recognized that maybe I wasn't just totally a complete uh, nabob with no knowledge of the game. And so I think we left with there being, let's say, certainly he's a knowledgeable baseball person and a diehard fan, as I said, 
I'm a knowledgeable baseball person to a point. Neither here and I know the, the same amount as those in the dugout and those out on the field. Of course, probably he thinks he does. I know better. But anyway, it was a fun experience and sort of ended from a, let's say, a less friendly banter to begin on night one to a more friendly banter at the end of night three. But it's kind of one of those things that sports is about, that you have those opportunities and those engagements with others. And, and you know, it's part of why I love it all, uh, that kind of interaction. But it was one of the more fun parts of that experience of the 2001 World Series. When you got back home with the team to Arizona, what was the mood there? Were the fans, I'm sure it must have left some of them feeling a little guilty that knowing they were going to have to beat up on the Yankees to win this. Um, how did it end up that way? Did the fans, did it tone down their enthusiasm for winning or was it just Not at all. life uh, moves on? Look, you know, there was the appropriate respect for and recognition of the trauma that was visited in New York. But you can separate that feeling from the action out on the field. And we wanted to beat the Yankees in the worst way. The Yankees have the greatest history of any baseball team, had won 25 or 26 world championships by that date. We were an upstart team only in the fourth year of playing in the major leagues. And we wanted in the worst way to win. And when we got home, you know, we were three games to the Yankees, two games to us. We had two to play. You know, we wanted in the worst way to win. We did not feel sorry for the New York baseball players. And uh, our team in the game six uh, demonstrated what kind of team we are from having lost three, you know, really devastating games in terms of how we lost. And we, we won game six 15 to two, uh, which you know, I think showed the ability that we knew our team had. And then game seven, the final game was one of, I think most would who observe history of baseball say one of the most classic of all World Series games. Seventh games of World Series are always memorable. And this one was one of those that was, you know, a three to two final score, but it was one to nothing, one to one, two to one favor of the Yankees. And then in the bottom of the last inning, we won the game three to two. And of course, let's say there, there was joy in Mudville that night. If you look at Arizona as New Yorkers would as Mudville. <laughs> Sporting news, which George Will calls the Bible of baseball and the Bible, the sporting news of religion said that this World Series was the greatest one of all time. Well, I, I, I certainly am biased because my team won, and, and therefore I would, uh, and it's the only time we ever have won, to be fair, and, and uh, it, it was compelling sporting action uh, to certainly all baseball fans and even to those maybe who are less than avid fans but are casual observers. It was a series of most of the games were very, very well played, very interesting games to watch. And I'm okay with somebody saying it was the best of all time. It's certainly my favorite. That particular World Series was so much built around honoring our country and the time that we were all going through, center point New York City, but the country at large was engaged. 
in the, you know, in the aftermath of 9-11 and the patriotism of our country's reaction that was intense. It's probably one of, in my life, one of the most intense periods of patriotic fervor I ever, I ever remember. I, I still wear the ring of 20 years ago, and, it, and, it, and it, it reminds me with an inscription on the inside of the ring, you know, 9-11 is something it says on my ring, 9-11 will never forget. And so that, I think, sums it up. So, Ken, you mentioned um, the feeling of, of unity, and there was that patriotic spirit that was going on in that game. Um, as we know, in the last few years, the, the country seems to be a little more at odds with each other. And being a, a successful American from very humble roots and, and a great upbringing, and you, you speak very highly of, of your family, is there anything you can recommend to say maybe some of the younger folks and the fans how we can sort of get back to that just after 9-11 feel good about America sentiment. Yeah, I, I think we have great challenges in, in the world that, that we live in today. I, I think we, uh, in many ways, many people, uh, I, I have not, and you, you would hope to communicate with others that they should not lose faith in the country lose faith in what makes us a great country, lose faith in those who are in service to us, whether they be in police work, which has come under, you know, I think unfair attack, to the fire service, to the first responders in other categories, the EMTs, and all those whose lives are built around service to others. I think we need to give ultimate respect to the people that do those very difficult jobs on behalf of all of us. I think we have lost in the 20 years that I look back on where we were as a country and where we are today. I think we are seeing, and I'm sad to say, some disintegration of family. Uh, we've spent some time, my wife and I, in working in some programs that are built around keeping families together, trying to communicate the value of the, the household that needs a mom and needs a dad to help build the values that a family can give to the young people that they raise. I think we've lost a lot of that. And, you know, I don't think our country is lost, but I think we're at a place in a time when I can look at 20 years ago and look at today. You know, we have a lot of work to do and, you know, I'm an older person, but I'm as committed to the greatness of our country and what it stands for as I have ever been. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of work that hopefully will help those value systems that I was given as a young person growing up in a small town with a family that my dad was in public service. My dad was a county sheriff, served the people of our community. I understood what that meant. I understood the time, effort, and energy he had to put into the things that he did. And, uh, you know, I... I feel that those value systems I was given, if I have any ability to transfer those values to others, I want to do so. Hopefully I'm doing it with my own children. And uh, I think there's a great, the words family values are incredibly important to the fabric of all of us and to our country in particular. And we've got to put attention, those things just don't happen. They are a part of life's work for, you know, 
all of us, uh, as parents especially, to create value systems that we leave behind. Well, Ken, it's been it's been a great conversation, and uh, really appreciate your time. It's, a, it's an honor to meet you, and uh, just wanted to thank you and all of those folks from baseball that that really came out to help us heal our fractured soul as a city and uh, as as a nation. And and hopefully, as you mentioned, we could gain that unity going forward and, and come back. And thank you very much, sir. It's a, it's an honor. Well, Neil's really the honor's mine. You know, it's. It's men like you and, and your colleagues who, who really uh, made us, helped us all recover from the tragedy that, that we faced. And, and uh, many of your colleagues gave their lives, uh, gave their health. And so the thanks really f- is really from me to you and to all of those who you know, were the first responders and those who did the very, very difficult work that unfortunately 9-11 caused to a need uh, for men like you to come forward. And I thank you. Thank you very much, sir. It's an honor. And uh, it means the world to us when we know folks like you are grateful for the deeds. Thank you very much. God bless America. I was working in a firehouse the night of President Bush's first pitch. I was filling in an engine company four and tower ladder 15 proudly known as the Wall Street Bulls. They lost 14 brave members the morning of 9-11, and the pain was still raw. As we watched our president, who was wearing an FDMY sweatshirt to honor our fallen brothers, throw out the first pitch, the firehouse kitchen erupted in cheers. We were so proud of our guys, our city, and our country. Even though our beloved Yankees lost to the Diamondbacks, it's an honor for all of us to know that Mr. Kendrick and the Diamondbacks have eternally etched Never forget 9-11 into their World Series rings. We also want to thank the whole team for going down to Ground Zero to pay their respects. We're truly humbled by your kindness. And if you've enjoyed these stories, I have a huge favor to ask you. Would you please consider filling out a very short survey that asks for your feedback and advice on the 20 for 20 podcast and also about a future project that I'm thinking about? To participate, please go to 20for20podcast.com survey. For those of you who do, we're having a raffle for five Amazon gift cards worth $50 each. Once again, the survey link is 20for20podcast.com slash survey. Your help would really mean a great deal. As we are recording this episode just days before Christmas 2021, please take a minute to reflect on your life and be grateful to all of those who have bravely sacrificed for you. Wishing you all and your families a blessed and Merry Christmas. Lastly, I want to give a special shout out to all those who have served our great country in one way or another. From the bottom of our hearts, we thank you, and please, stay safe out there. And now, before we close, a special message from a dear friend of mine. Hi, this is actor Robert John Burke. I've been fortunate to be a part of projects like Tombstone, Law & Order Special Victims Unit, Gossip Girl, Rescue Me. But I've been even more fortunate to become friends with incredible first responders like your host, Nils Jorgensen. Folks who are willing to sacrifice every single one of their tomorrows so that we can have our today. As Nils so powerfully says, I lost a lot of my friends on 9-11, including my best friend. I felt like I had to pick up the flag for them. So I became a volunteer firefighter and I have been ever since. It's why I'm so grateful you're listening to the 20 for 20 podcast. I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review it, and share it with five friends because these stories are so important. Thanks for listening.